0: Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Trek Talk with Tech and Kirk. I'm Techman16. And I'm uh, Strange, Kirk.
1: And no Handy today. How about that?
0: Handy. Could not join us. Although I did text him, so we'll see. He may jump in a uh, bit recording.
1: All right. Well, today we're going to move away from Star Trek Fleet Command and move into the greater Star Trek universe, where... All the other people lie that like star trek and here with us we have uh jim jim how you doing man
2: i'm good how are you guys doing
1: we're doing pretty good thanks for joining us today we really appreciate it
2: oh yeah no problem uh thanks for having me
1: so jim you uh come from the fitness industry is that right
2: yeah and in in a way yes i i as of last year uh own a gym I've been producing fitness content since really powerlifting content since two thousand six. And uh started a, a podcast that was very very successful in twenty thirteen. It lasted until early twenty eighteen and then later in in eighteen started a, a new show with one of my original co hosts called Fifty Percent Facts. And it, it's uh it's an, you know kind of an industry podcast in some ways it's it's kind of meta on the industry and sometimes we're we're talking about kind of the down and dirty facts of nutrition and uh um and training and uh the psychology behind all of uh becoming successful at all of it i guess uh, depending upon the guests that we have and uh uh, yeah so fitness industry yeah
1: how did you and kirk meet or you know have you guys known each other for a long time or or was it just just chance you know he listened to your podcast and reached out
2: i think that that's probably the the uh, best description i think that we connected on instagram
0: okay yeah
3: i've been i've been uh, i've been following jim's uh podcast and his uh content for years and I just happened to, I happened to reach out for him. I saw that he shot me a follow back on Instagram. You know, I I thought that was the coolest thing in the world. I was like, Hey man, you know, I appreciate it. That was awesome. And we just kind of started talking and going back and forth and uh, just discussing some of the earlier days of some of his content that he created and some giving me some insight and just, we just been talking pretty regular ever since then.
1: Yep. So how did you grow your podcast? I mean, was it, was it new at the time? I mean, 2013, that was like eight years ago. Yeah.
2: Um, you know, it's weird. I think this week, we, we kind of hit the zeitgeist just correctly because, um, it was a kind of high chemistry. show. uh, it had a lot of, of kind of natural flow and it was different than any other fitness podcast at the time. There are a few that were, you know, sort of similar concept, but they didn't. They didn't work exactly the same way as our show did. So we were one of like probably three um, kind of lifter or gym based fitness podcasts that did really well uh, in that period of time. People, you know, everybody that wasn't Jillian Michaels or or Ben Greenfield or somebody like that, who's you know kind of the, the podcast is more a part of their job and, and part of their. Like really kind of part of their funnel i guess in terms of lead generation and selling products and stuff like that
1: oh so your yours was just more informational where you know was it more like pharmacology based or was it uh i you said something about nutrition right so is it what the what the molecules do to your body how the you know electron transport chain works things like that of that nature
2: i um, probably not as specific of that more about um uh, Weight gain, weight loss strategies, muscle um, uh, muscle gain strategies, because everybody wants to be big and jacked. Uh, a lot of um, what I would call gym culture. Uh, some other people call it iron culture, where the the com- camaraderie of uh, of lifters and the uh, how we all approach. It was. It was a lot of competitive powerlifters were our, our original audience and then uh and there's a culture of i don't want to say it, it, it a mutual support in that the small group of of people who are actually competing power in powerlifting and then powerlifting as a sport grew in the early stages of our of our podcast and then we started to hit more of like Gen Pop fitness, just like regular people who go to to gyms, who have some maybe some aspiration of lifting heavy weights, but don't necessarily want to uh, compete, or they're they're more physique oriented, and there's you know people are looking for a sense of camaraderie and then some level of information that might help them whether it's going to help them today or tomorrow or or never, but it just seems like it's going to, I guess, is the best way to say it.
1: All right, so I guess I can describe it as kind of like it, there is a – it was a very close-knit and a small community of powerlifters that I guess figured how to do things in a way to get bigger. And then during your time when you started the podcast, there was kind of a boom where the average Joe – wanted to get bigger but didn't know how and didn't know where to start so they came you know they came to listen to your show yeah because that opened up this close-knit community and then they're like oh okay i could do this and that and you know work work it this way work it that way it'd be most effective all that stuff so that's pretty cool
2: yeah and uh just podcast has started to grow a lot during that time too and i thought that that made a big difference um like we were, what, six, eight months pre-serial. And, uh, and serial just kind of changed the whole podcasting game.
1: Serial? What's serial?
2: Uh, serial is a podcast produced by, uh, by This American Life. And it was about, it was a, I think, 12-part podcast about a murder in Maryland. Where the person who was convicted might have been wrongfully convicted. Sort of the wow. really the first real true crime podcast was also also just a giant social phenomenon, and was so successful that it essentially created the the real podcast industry. Like the the chances of getting um, sponsor paid sponsorship like exploded after that because it was kind of proven that audiences were out there and that it was worthwhile for advertisers to put money into into advertising on podcasts. So that was 2014.
1: Right. Okay. I, now, now it's, now it's all coming back to me. Yeah. I, we just do this for fun. I'm not looking until, you know, who knows if, if we grow other podcast to a point where it's as big as yours. Otherwise
2: it's just a hobby. Uh- I, yeah, I feel, you No, we, um, with the current show, we have done some advertising and work with, with different advertisers. Currently, um, we are really just focusing on uh, selling our own stuff. We have, uh, when we started the gym, we also started an apparel line. And so it's kind of a soft sell of, of the apparel and everything that we're trying to, um, kind of communicate about our values around fitness, Uh, sort of our slogan is good company. So and that sort of harkens back a little bit to the original podcast, like being feeling like you're in good company. And uh, I think that a lot of people who listen to that show and people who listen to us now, that's kind of what they're looking for, like being in kind of in the room with people having an interesting conversation that so They may or may not get something from, but they enjoy being there.
3: Yeah, that's probably that's that's one of the that's one of the most important things. I think I know for me is why I listen to your, your show and why, why the last show that we were talking about, you know, really drew me in because it really had the feel. Well, at first, I'll i I'll say it like that and I'll leave it at that. Um, at first, it really had the feel like you were just kind of a fly on the wall kind of thing. Like you were really just witnessing people having a conversation in the same room that you were in. And it's a very welcoming atmosphere, I um, and it, yeah. so it was. It was definitely uh, something that drew me in. And then now, like your content that you create now and that you put out now, it's the same feel. I could put it on and sit down, and you know, or I could go, you know, grill out or cook something and just be listening to it, or be in the gym listening to it. And um, it's it's a really good to good way to get in,
0: absorbed into it. Just the delivery. Well, thank you. So let's transition from health and
1: fitness to something that health and fitness almost never intersects with, and that's Star Trek. And so Kirk tells me you're uh, you're a huge Star Trek buff. Is that right?
2: Yeah, yeah. I started watching the original series when I was a kid, and I don't know that I ever saw it in first run. I I think I I knew that it existed maybe because I was a little kid, but I remember uh syndication and watching probably every single episode multiple multiple times and uh and then as as i was saying before we got started here the um this kind of thirst for that additional content uh you know gelled around trying to trying to get into other series and and sci-fi movies and whatever and um our, my my wife and I met in high school, and we were not we didn't actually date. We were friends for a long time, and uh, we ended up going on our first actual date uh, after she had graduated. And the movie that we saw was was Trek: the Motion Picture, and that that might have been the end of the whole thing. <laughs>
1: well, that that uh, I guess that's the fork in the road. That would have either yeah. either you, you you married this girl and you were with her together, or that would have been the end right there.
2: Yeah, yeah, she really hated it, but um, we kept dating anyway. So, but <laughs> <laughs> so I, I guess I was well, lucky that she she's not not so discriminating that she was willing to hold it against me, but. Oh my
3: god. So so she doesn't so she doesn't like it at all. She doesn't like Star Trek at all. She just wasn't
2: into the movie. She is fine with Star Trek, she did not like that movie. She said it was boring and and it is. Um I, I, that may sound like blasphemy, but it's it's really quite slow. It's super yeah, no, it super is. slow. It it's beautiful, cool. but it's slow.
1: I think the only thing that I took away from it was, you know, if you're watching it over again is um I, with the amount of time that passed from the original, the first one of the original series of syndication, just to see the enterprise, I mean, I think there was like a, it was like a three minute shot of like different enterprise. And, you know, you look at it now, you're like, oh my God, what are they doing? Just flying around. But I, I can imagine just when they were doing it, it's like the enterprise on the big screen for the first time in forever. Let's let's all let's soak uh, all this.
2: Yeah, and the the model and the lighting and what all that. Douglas Fumble, who actually did two thousand one, and <laughs> he brought a, a certain aesthetic aesthetic to it. He's the first guy to put lights on the outside of a of a starship that light up the starship. Yeah. Like like which, how would which, that, which, the original series how did you see what the ship looked like in the darkness of space well you wouldn't have it's because it's fake but if you think about physics relative to it and and just the darkness of space that you would need like you would need to light the shit up ship up so you could see it so uh so that and, most, and then
1: most go, use sensors what they wouldn't even they wouldn't nobody would look outside the window in the darkness of space and see a ship approach, not how things are going to work.
2: Yeah. Um, And anyway, that, that led in a really strange way to, uh, I was going to college in Southern California and I was walking with a friend who was at, uh, UCLA. I was not at UCLA. I didn't have the grades for UCLA. Uh, And somebody approached us and said, uh, would you like free tickets to a preview showing of a science fiction film at Paramount? And we were not industry savvy enough to understand what that movie was going to be. Um, But we went and and we we're. I think it was like on a Tuesday night and, you know, drive to the Paramount Gate and all that stuff. And we get in to the theater and uh, up walks a man and he says, uh, you probably figured it out by now, but the movie is Star Trek II. And we're like, what? Like, didn't even <laughs> dawn us that was a possibility. Like I was even sure that I knew they were making a Star Trek 2. And uh, so, yeah, uh, uh, Nicholas Meyer uh, introduced the film. He said, you know, it is not finished and you will see, you know, temporary special effects and it's not scored largely. So it's music from the first film and from the planets and whatever else we could throw in there. And uh, what I didn't know at the time or what we didn't know at the time is that the cast was actually in the back of the theater. They brought them in when they had when they brought the house lights down. And uh, what we were seeing was the second big preview uh, that changed the ending of Star Trek 2 that left the door open for Spock to return. The shots of the of his the torpedo tube cap, uh, sort of casket that was on uh, the Genesis planet were right. at the very end of the, the the cut of the film. And people had hated it when they just thought that Spock was dead. And there was literally a standing ovation at the end of the version that I saw.
1: And how different was that version from the final cut?
2: Um, it was really close. The the biggest, I think, change was the uh, was the special effects. So there's a okay. there's a shot. There's a shot of the um, in the film of the warp nacelle of the Reliant exploding. And I remember specifically that the explosion was not there. So you, there was a shot of the nacelle and then there was a shot of there being no nacelle and no explosion in between.
1: <laughs> uh I can't you know I've never worked in the film industry so I I
0: can't know what the stages of a film look like that is it start to finish. So I, I imagine that must have been a little
2: odd. It was I was but I was interested in the film I was taking you know film classes at the time so it was interesting to see how it all um fit together. You know, later on seeing the the final version uh
1: so the cast was in the back that you get them, you get to ask them questions that they interact
2: no they got them out before the um uh because they kept they they hand everybody uh reaction cards and that's kind of the thing that you do at the end there is no no questions or anything like that um everybody just had to fill out their reaction cards and, and then and then get the hell out I read more about it, though. William Shatner wrote a book or probably had somebody ghost write a book called Star Trek Movie Memories and it describes um, all the behind-the-scenes stuff relative to that particular night. Uh, and I like didn't realize until I read that book, I was like, oh, yeah, that's the one I was at.
0: <laughs> oh. Wow. That's... That's pretty cool, though. That's pretty cool that you yeah, were there it was,
2: for it. Yeah, it was really cool. What's funny is that uh, I've, the friend that I went with, who is not a giant Star Trek fan, I mentioned it to her the other day. And she's like, we we did that?
0: It's <laughs> <was> like, yes. <laughs> wow. You don't you remember that?
3: I feel like I feel like Jim has the coolest Star Trek stories of anyone we've had on the show thus far.
1: I I completely agree. Absolutely. So, moving towards, you know, later in time, did you get into the Next Generation and Deep Space 9 and Voyager and Enterprise?
2: Yes, except I was I was less enthusiastic about Voyager, though I did watch it, and I don't think I've ever seen all of Enterprise. Um, I was, Enterprise Enterprise frustrated me because I think that the, the cast was good, but the writing was not always up to par. And I was frustrated that it was just like, it was just another Star Trek show. So there was not really anything, there wasn't as much of a unique
0: proposition to it as there should have been, I guess.
3: It took, it took me a while to warm up to Enterprise. Truth be told, um, it took me a little while, and then I went back and watched it for a second time, and I actually ended up liking it. I didn't like it so much the first time.
1: Well, I think the problem was with Enterprise is the first two seasons. Number one, it wasn't called Star Trek; it was called Enterprise. Yeah. And then they really tried to do a uh, try to combine our history with our being, you know, North American. Uh, history that coincides with the Star Trek universe—how we just explored space for, and all the mistakes we Mm make—and it, it's and you're right—it wasn't unique to anything that hasn't been done before. You know, with Kirk and the New Frontier, uh, Picard, and you know the the Next Generation with their really bad season ones two episodes. A Voyager getting lost all over again, so we got to explore a whole new sector of space and yada yada. So Enterprise, like, oh, we're exploring space for the first time. But I do think that season four of Star Trek Enterprise, to me, is the gold standard of Star Trek. Like, I can't find any anything better to watch. If I were to pick anything out of Star Trek to watch, out of all the properties that are out there, it's Star Trek season four.
3: I, I have to say that my biggest beef with Enterprise was the fact that the, all of the Vulcans were overly emotional, um, and extremely condescending, and everything like that. You know, and, and and they added certain personality traits that Vulcans, in my opinion, should should not have. And so it, it took me a little bit getting over that. Um, it was a little it was a little difficult for me and that was my biggest problem but once i was able to get over that hurdle you know, i was able to enjoy it um and, and kind of look look past that
2: yeah most, they, and most people that i've talked to go ahead sorry go ahead i was just going to say they were born with pointy ears and with sticks up their butt
0: right yeah i
3: i i, I don't the one one of the biggest problems, and of course I could talk. That, that's a, it's a whole conversation. You could talk about it all day. Is I I it really upsets me when there's an established a uh, race within the Star Trek uh, community and, and or the you know the the fandom whatever. But there's an established race, and they act a particular way, and this is canon. And then for some reason, the writers and 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 people of that nature, they want to start tweaking it and playing with it. And I don't I don't like that. You know, uh, well, we wanted to change that because we wanted it to reflect this. Well, you can't. That's the thing. You don't change it. It's not your job. You're taking someone else's product and running with it. Some things you, I understand artistic liberties. um, You know, you kind of want to make something your own, but it gets to a point where you're just kind of screwing with it, and it's it's not making any better. It's making it worse. And that was one of those examples, in my opinion.
0: I, I think they did that with the Klingons, but they made the Klingons better than the original series
2: i think they also made the borg better over the course of of the stories um it, it's even just the change where where the, you didn't have to go through like an elaborate surgery to to be uh under the influence of the borg that the nanotechnology part of it made oh okay so like the danger is very immediate is it just that you're going to get kidnapped and then you're going to be sedated and then you're going to be you know then they're going to do surgery on you no like instantaneously you will lose control so it created like a body horror, uh immediate body horror thing as opposed to you know i don't know, sort of a saw type uh uh surgery horror
1: yeah, yeah, I and I, I think, uh, in in my opinion, the 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 Borg in Voyager were a lot scarier than the Borg in the Next Generation.
2: Yeah, except for that first episode, um, where Q exposes them to the the Borg for the first time. That's why, yeah, like, yeah. there's a Borg episode of 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 Enterprise, and I was like, what, like, ah.
1: You know the the growing theory is the the Borg enter, uh, episode of Enterprise is the Borg from First Contact. So
2: yeah, I've seen that.
1: There there is a theory, a fan theory. I don't think it's been confirmed that the reason the Borg went from we just care about your technology and we're going to take a cross section of of your hull so we can examine it and add it to our own to we're gonna assimilate you was because the Borg from the future altered the current Borg of the Delta Quadrant to you know to become more I guess violent
0: if you will. Yeah. Which would make sense be because yeah. uh uh b- because the Vaudoir and Voyager
1: said that the Borg were around nine hundred years in the
0: past, but they were just a nuisance. They weren't like a real threat. Yeah, I guess that's true.
2: The um, I don't know. I don't even want to get into the uh relationship between the Borg and Guinan's race. That 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 was just <laughs> a like what what I end up saying what a lot. Uh, when the writers do stupid things.
1: Or Guinan and Q. Like, she was yeah. doing things with her hands, and, and the writers like, ah, oh, we'll screw that. We'll, we'll just write it out.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. And that, none of that ever made any sense.
1: There's a lot of those little things that we could pick apart where, you know, the writers had an idea where this was going, and then they kind of dropped it. Kind of like, you know, remember those, um, the aliens that, uh, I want to call them the Yurks, but that's a different sci-fi franchise. But they go through your mouth, and that you have a little thing sticking out the back of your neck, and they eat. Yeah, worms. the
2: con- yeah, the Contagion, um, whatever they're called.
1: Yeah, you know, and, and uh, I can't remember the officer whose head exploded. Um, yeah. When, when they revealed the uh, the the mother creature, and then. They were supposed to come back at some point, right? Because they sent a signal out to the
2: yeah in this space, but they never came. Yeah, back. they never came back. What, uh, maybe um, they'll come back and put card or something, but um, yeah, it's unlikely.
3: What um, if as far as the older the Star Trek, the older Star Trek goes, I don't, I can't remember if we covered it. Had a few things going on over here, but <clears throat> um, what is your? I mean, what is your favorite series as far as the um? What what is uh what do you call it? Tech old Trek.
1: Yeah, I call it pre Abrams Trek. So pre two thousand
0: nine. Yeah, Jim, what's your your favorite one there? I,
2: I think I can probably talk in more easily in terms of favorite episodes, and maybe not whole series because every Star Trek series has been kind of uneven. Um city on the fit for edge of forever from the original series is my favorite um it's probably my favorite episode period just because of uh because the stakes were halfway high uh the deep space nine episode of where they were in san francisco in the in the past and uh the bell riots that i can't remember the name of that episode but that's uh one of my favorites uh original or, uh the next generation
0: i know what you're
1: talking yeah.
2: about yeah uh next generation probably um inner light and i wish that they had saved best of both worlds for a real movie something more self-contained i don't know it it seems like there was so much more that could have been done with it it was I i felt
3: the same way about reunification
2: uh yeah that could have been a that could have been a whole thing i think it's interesting how they have as star trek has gone forward um sort of factored spock into the romulan world
0: for better and for worse I thought it was uh, I thought it was a good touch to bring the character back
2: in in the in next gen or in the abram's verse
1: Oh god no not the abram's verse in in next generation abram's next generation. verse all right, let me. Let, I I don't want to influence your your uh, response here, but what do you what do you think of two thousand nine and beyond?
2: I liked two thousand nine much much better than I thought I was going to. I tried to to go into it with a pretty open mind and think, okay, well, this is not going to be exactly the Star Trek I'm used to. I just want a good explanation for why it's not. And Largely, I got that it's not perfect, but largely I, I, I did get some some sense of why it was different. I also I also factor in that that first contact being the timeline as well, and so a, a lot of things are already different than than they would have played out um, through the you know the first six uh, original cast movies and all that stuff. Uh, some of the, I like some of the performances. The some of the relationship twists were weird. I didn't think about needing to see Spock in a relationship with anybody. Um, <laughs> out, out, outside of his parents, you know. I mean, that was a, that part was okay until they killed off owner Ryder, and I don't know why. I don't know. Um, there, the the I, whole.
0: The,
1: Spock Uhura thing is just that was kind of an oddity to me because if if the goal was to portray Uhura as a as a strong independent black woman then why did she spend like half well this was more into darkness, but she spent half the movie bitching Spock about him not paying enough attention.
0: It was I just that to me was so weird. Well, I don't think that that character gained anything by becoming a nag. No. No. <laughs> no, she didn't. I thought the whole point of of her was that she's
1: a she's a competent officer in in a in a utopian society where race and color and orientation doesn't matter. And here we are, you know, in in the near future where we're supposed to promote everybody on merit. And uh, material gain is no longer the driving force of society, and and all of a sudden, it's like, why aren't you paying enough attention to me? It's like, can we can we talk about this later?
0: It's like, no, I want to talk about it now.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, it, that that bothered me. I felt like it was not necessary. It uh, I didn't need any of that, and and that character in the in the especially particularly in the movies had great agency she didn't necessarily have a huge role in the story, but she had great agency the The bit where she is uh running that little transporter station in uh Star Trek Three when they steal the enterprise and she she pulls a gun <laughs> pulls a phaser on the the guy that she's working with and and she forces them in the closet. <laughs> So that they can steal the Enterprise. Like that was amazing. That was one of the best <laughs> scenes the character had. Why couldn't we have more of that?
0: Because uh, I can always do selective editing, but I'll hold my tongue.
2: <laughs> I I just I I I think that uh, there's too many too many cooks. Spoiling the soup. I, I, yeah. I think that there are too too many influences. And I would never have picked J.J. J. Abrams to do Star Trek or Star Wars. He, he is not... a
1: director or producer, rather, because he's proven that he makes money. And so that's what they
0: went. With. Yeah. What about the new series? The Picard
1: um, uh, Discovery Lower Decks upcoming st- Strange New Worlds.
2: I love Lower Decks. I think it's hysterical, and it. I think that sometimes they do a other than the design of the ship that we've never seen before. I think that they do a a better job of of lighting canon than uh than the other follow-on shows have. Um, I liked Picard. Uh, but I, the, some of the story arc really bugged me and didn't make any sense.
3: But I liked it anyway. Uh oh, you I, don't, you're not a big fan of uh, killer androids from outer space, and how stupid that sounds.
2: I was fine with killer androids from outer space until there's yet another version of of that of a character that Brett Spiner is playing that that was a poorly written character and i realized that they were just trying to use his his current appearance because he's you know 70 or whatever but that it was a shitty character it was a character that just didn't it didn't do anything for me and i didn't understand his motivations and he's one way in one scene and he's another way in another scene that bothered me the whole like attacking flowers thing was irritating Um, (laughs) uh that i don't know i liked the whole idea of of them being on a a non-federation ship i uh i think it was an interesting turn that every hologram on the ship is a different version of the captain's personality that's that seems like something that would work really well in a book that is got irritating in the series, but still, I mean, I liked it well enough. Um, I was not a giant fan of the first half of the uh, first season of Discovery. I enjoyed the second half more, even though I think that the Mirror Universe is kind of a device that that can get overplayed and I think it they have overplayed it now. The I think the best mirror universe episodes were in Deep Space Nine, honestly. Cause they they really flung things open and played around with alternate versions of the characters. Um a friend of mine is really good friends with Doug Jones and um uh I I, I, I I think he does a lot with a very uh, strangely constructed character on that show. I'm a huge fan of Anson Mount. So I'm really looking forward to strange new world. Um, his podcast followed me on Twitter. So I'm a fan for life, I guess. <laughs> Go captain Pike. <laughs> I think he's really good. And, and he's a, he's, you know, he does this podcast with a, with a with like one of his best friends, and they're industry people and all this stuff. But like, they're they're interesting. They do interesting things, and their hearts seem to be in the right places. So, so I'm
3: always going to be a sucker for that. I think he did a really good job with um, with Pike. Um, I and we've done reviews on the on our show. But we've done reviews of, of Discovery on our show. I'm super critical of the show. I don't like it at all. Um, I think it's pretty terrible overall. But his, his portrayal and his character, I thought, was done very well. And it was one of the few things that if I were to watch any more, if I were to rewatch any of it, it would be specifically for that
0: reason. I, I think Discovery had good actors play good roles for
1: for some of the things like in season one, Jason Isaacs, great actor, played a great character in Lorca. Although yeah. he kinda went he kinda went a little wonky with the whole I'm a super villain at the end. Of season one there. They had Anson Mount did a great job playing Captain Pike. Uh season three had Paul Guilfoyle play Carl. Um I admire Doug Jones. I like and he pulls off Saru very well. The character is just meh for me. But they keep taking the best parts of uh, Discovery and making their own spin-off shows. Like, Georgiou is gone. She's going to be in a Section 31 show.
0: Uh, Pike and Spock are going to be in their own show. And Discovery is just left with, you know, I don't know. I There are too many things wrong with Discovery.
1: I just and it's yeah. funny because it's funny because like the first two seasons it was all about canon that was what was wrong with the show season three was all the with all the social justice nonsense they tried to put in it yes. just is, is, a, is a real turn off
3: yeah, here's the thing so here's the thing it's not the fact that we want um, it's not the it's not the fact of the inclusivity. That's not the that's not the snag for me. <clears throat> it's the way that it was like it was almost like it was an afterthought. Like, hey, this is a hot topic. We need to throw this on our show so we can gain some support from this community. Well, we're already done with the script. All right, well, just pepper that shit in there. And it was it was almost to the point of well, to, in my opinion, it was to the point of exploitation, where it was you you give this character an identity but you don't let them develop it, and you don't let that person shine through and, and really live it out and, and really show us what that means. It's just this token mention, and then it's back to business as usual, you know, looking for some crying child that blows up dilithium, or whatever the hell the case is.
1: Right, yeah. And part part of the problem is I don't have a problem with... You're right, I don't have a problem with the inclusivity of, oh, of, uh, there's a transgender character, or there's non-binary character or all the black people talk to the black people and all the LGBT only talk with the LGBT and they're all segregated in their own little groups. What I have a problem with is the actors didn't get hired for their acting ability. They got hired because they're a certain group to play themselves in a role on a, on a fictitious environment. instead of hiring an actor, to play a particular role in a fictitious, does that make sense? Like they hired non-binary transgender people to play themselves in a yep. different universe instead of hiring an actor.
3: I see what you're saying, but for me, it's not that. What I have a problem with is if you're going to do that. If I'm gonna, if I'm gonna have a show, and I'm gonna have a character who's going to represent, um, you know, this particular. Uh, demographic, whatever that whatever that may be, whatever it may be, um, you know, a certain a person from a certain region of the world, a certain religion, a sexual orientation, whatever that th- that may be. If I'm doing that and I want that to shine through, I want to let that character sort of th- that actor sort of own that character and allow that person to sort of tell their story, channel that through the character instead of having this thirty second snippet. Um, you know, oh, I prefer to be called this because blah, 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 blah. Oh, and then it's business as usual. Like, that's a token drop, and I feel like it's extremely disrespectful to utilize that for box checking is, is what I call it, and I know a lot of other people call it that. You're just checking these, going down this, the PC ladder to check boxes, and it seems like that's all that's going on. So it's not, it doesn't feel genuine. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. Yeah,
1: I, I, I think there's aspects of of Both of what we're saying, which we don't we don't like it for the for the similar for similar reasons, but specifically season three. And, you know, people say, but at least they have representation, which is. Sure, it's good. You're you're hiring. uh, Diversity has increased, but you're not doing anything with them. That's meaningful and, and a way to put them in a better light, if you will.
3: Right, that's that, that. That's what I'm saying, Jim. Do you have a an, an opinion on that, or do you have anything to add to that?
2: Um, those things don't bug me as much as they bug other people. I I it I put it off on a, a just a failure of of writing. I think that a uh, lack of ideas in that regard. I guess. Um, I'm I'm watching a show on HBO right now that they just brought back called. In treatment, and like there was an original run of the show from like two thousand eight to maybe like thirteen uh, and it, it it had Gabriel Byrne as a therapist, and each episode was centered on like one one client one one patient uh and you would follow those people's threads through anyway they brought it back because it was a property that they owned and it was something that was easy to film during the pandemic and i was listening to uh someone one of the producers involved in the show talking about uh the writing process they had to do a, a virtual writers room because of covid and they really brought in um people with the lived experience of of these characters to help write it and it it shows with logic there's like a reason why I put specificity on that because they haven't yet in what i've watched but they just have done a really good job but what discovery suffers from and it really looks like when you have other shows like all the visuals and how how the relationships work, but if you watch any others like
0: that, they've been um, stuck with that forces the kind of contortions you're talking about. I don't have any
2: any but just the consistency of the characters is difficult. Um, Probably one of the most problematic
0: characters in terms of
2: I never know if he's a genius on the verge of being incapable of doing his job because he's overly emotional I, I don't know where they're going with him a, like an acclaimed theater actor uh and the best with what they give him, but it's not well written i don't the logic behind it is rough like just because he's the gay character he's supposed to be like like a parental figure to a uh, non-binary character or a transgender character like that uh, yeah so affinity but like but, but more than that beyond the superficial I don't see it anyway
1: what about promoting an ensign to first officer
2: <laughs> well I think that they made a I, I don't know. I was I was, okay, was kind of okay with that, honestly, because they were in a they were in an odd situation. Like, where else were they going to get a first officer? Who else? Was, we haven't met anybody else on board who could have done it. So, well, I,
1: I, seeing her qualifications, I think anybody on board could have done it.
2: Potentially, I mean, potentially.
1: Are you but have you three just... background actors or four on
2: the bridge. That could be the first officer and they went on the same boat But we don't we don't know anything about him and Tilly is a very, very popular character. That's... Yeah. I mean Yeah. She she is they, she and They made such a good crusher and an instant an without him going to the Academy. I mean <laughs> well they made
3: him i was gonna say yeah i think that that was an acting incident pending um, uh you know academy graduation
2: yeah well it was just she was an acting first officer before they actually made her a first officer i mean it it, to me it's the same kind of kind of thing you're you're just engineering the story around around the reactions of the characters and not actually motivating it
3: Let's see what happens, and then we'll base our decisions off of how popular these characters are.
2: Yeah, a little bit. A little
1: we'll bit. take a poll. Here's a CBS poll. Who's your favorite actor in in the show? Oh, great. Promotion time.
3: <laughs> well, congratulations. The audience of our show agreed that Bill in accounting should now be the captain because he's very witty.
1: Well, but, we, but have, oh, we have a we have an overrepresentation of of uh, lizard people so linus is going to get more lines in the show <laughs> but
2: uh that's that, i mean that's true of a lot of shows i mean um here's an example from the 70s which i'm 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 certain i'm the only one who watched the show in first run uh that was good times uh j.j walker his that character took off and john amos is one of the great black actors of of our time decided to leave the show because he couldn't get a decent storyline because the character the actor playing his son became very very popular and so all the scripts were written around him it's it's nothing new it's certainly not new to star trek sure no it,
3: it, it does get frustrating though when you it it gets frustrating because it's, uh, we made a comment. I made a comment one time, and, and, and somebody, not really corrected me, but they provided me a different perspective and <clears throat> said something about, you know, a lot of us, when we're fans of something, we like to take ownership of it. And, and we do it not so much like we're trying to say we're in control of it, but we feel like we're a part of it. We're a huge fan, you know. And so we'll, we'll say stuff like people will say my sports team, like my right. Atlanta Falcons or whatever. At the end of the day, I think people have to realize that it's not your show. Um, and what it seems like what they're trying to do is they're trying to appeal to a new audience. Because let's face it, me being in my early thirties, like when you start going, we talk about huge Star Trek fans. I'm a bit of an oddity, right? Like most people my age are not are Trek Trekkies. You know, it, it, it's it's a generally an older population. So it seems like what they're trying to do is they've kind of taken uh, ripped a few pages out of the Star Wars playbook and they're trying to kind of pursue different routes. Like you look at Picard, Picard's a very <clears throat> dark view into the Star Trek universe, like the equivalent of like the Dark Knight version, you know, of Batman, right? It's a very, it's a much darker view. It's not like the old sixties Pow, Biff, Zoc and everybody wearing tights and standing ridiculously, you know, it's not that type of thing. It's a different take on it. And so, I think what they're trying to do is they're trying to pull not just one type of person. They're trying to pull different people because now you have, as far as Star Wars, you have a whole new crop of fans. You know, with the with the cartoons, you got kids that are getting into it and, and things of that nature. And it seems like that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to go in a bunch of different directions at once to try to see how how we can milk this cow. You know, how, how we can get more cash out of this and, and keep it alive and, and keep making money. In my opinion, it's just what it looks like to me.
1: Well, the Star Wars thing is they took the exact same storyline that made Star Wars popular and just sprinkled in, you know, new characters, if you will, and to try to appeal to the masses. I would have loved if Discovery could have taken like old episodes with new characters and their new twists and diversity and all that stuff and just gave me that instead of what we got, instead of a. You know, people got mad at me for this, but I called uh, Sukal in season three an autistic child, an autistic man-child. And that's what he was. He had a speech impediment. He was slow to understand or comprehend anybody's feelings, even though he grew up in in an environment of holograms that mimicked humans to the nth degree. So, you know, I would have enjoyed seeing... You know, even Jim's ep- Jim's favorite episodes, "Best of Both Worlds," "The Inner Light," "City on the Edge of Forever," which we kind of got, kind of sort of, and just redo it for a new audience. I think I would have enjoyed that more than than worrying about all the canon aspects. Which Discovery and Picard was was just like, oh, okay, let's let's make a seventy three year old man do stunts you know like in the first episode of Picard he's all running away with with Sachi or Sochi or whatever her name is, up a building before the Romulan agents couldn't just teleport to where they are it's just maddening
0: <laughs> you know
1: i think but i think the most egregious thing that star trek discovery season 3 did is in the 31st century it's so boring there is nothing <laughs> new. They 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 literally could have went to the future, 5 minutes into the future. It it was it's the exact same thing. There's nothing new or cool about the 31st century. And the
3: fact oh, of- they, they have personal transporters though, man. Isn't that cool?
2: Oh. And, and the, the cells don't have to be attached anymore. So No, they they do
1: if you're at warp, but they don't when you're not at warp. I thought it was just the
2: opposite of that, but
1: no, it it's because but okay. remember how remember how they had to blow up the the nacelle so that discovery would come out of warp when Osiris oh, took it over? Yeah. You know how they walked while not having air? They walked to the nacelle. So
2: obviously it couldn't be uh, detached. That's a fair point, yeah. I thought they <laughs> were just near it. Anyway, yeah, there's
1: even a if lot of were, stuff. Even if they were, well, they had to go through that catechism. That, that that the giant Borg city in the middle of Discovery.
3: Oh my god, yeah. How? What the hell? It's got a freaking. There's this huge thing in in a ship that only holds like 100 and something people. There's this huge freaking <laughs> hallway that's the size of fucking <laughs> Manhattan in the middle of the <laughs> ship. In the grand scheme of things, it's probably the size of one of the original Enterprises in the cells. But there's this huge city of floating bricks. And it was like, did someone watch the movie Cube before they made this? I mean, I don't know. It was fucking you know, preposterous. It's,
2: it's Harry Potter. It's bigger on the inside.
3: That's What is this, Mary Poppins' purse in the center of fucking Discovery?
2: Yeah. I didn't understand that either.
1: Actually, there was a short trek that featured um, Pike and Spock and the enterprise had this very elaborate uh turbo lift system where do you you have to watch it but I i think it's only like 10 minutes left. but the turbo lift like it goes you know uh vertical and horizontal and then there is a part and i had to rewatch this like three times there's a 90 degree angle and in, w-
0: in which it shifts like, it's going horizontal in this vast network of of turbo lifts.
1: And you have to watch this because it, it's literally like, you know, those Futurama tubes. You know how, so, the artificial, so what
3: you're saying is the artificial gravity is just, the technology is so amazing that it just, you can just, your feet stick to whatever you're on where you can just be moving around and just yeah. fucking perpendicular to where the ship's facing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, maybe, and you know they're going to If somebody's going to bring it up at a convention, they're going to be like, ah, centrifugal force equals MC squared. Next question.
1: They have inertial dampeners, but literally these turbo lifts go in, like, Willy Wonka style. (laughs) It's it's like you're going horizontal, then two seconds later it shifts to vertical, and then it shifts, you know, like, upside down and stuff. And you're like, first of all, where did they build it? Like, where's the space in the ship that they built it? And and B, like, why is it so elaborate? (laughs) <laughs> Why?
3: It's like that's it's an elevator shaft. It's gonna be, shaft. it's gonna be Burnham and some and some alien fighting while, while they're under the influence of fizzy lifting drinks or something. Right. Yeah. I like the
2: idea of it being a Wonka Vader. A Wonka Vader. Yes, that's, yeah.
3: that is that is so great. Yeah. There's a lot, there's a lot of stupid moments. We made fun of them all. I mean, hey, Jim, if you ever get a chance, you just go back and listen to some of them. We just we just go on forever. I think one of the our favorite ones was the scene where. I don't, What's her name? The girl with like the, the 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 implants on her face, and she's she's flying. What's his name's ship? And they have like everyone's about to die, but they take a whole minute out of their day to have a motivational conversation about how great they are and how they're heroes and they're the greatest people in the world. And then like at the snap of a finger, her PTSD is cured, or whatever.
2: Yeah, uh, Detmer, Detmer, Detmer. Yeah, that's that's what I was talking about with the the CBS stuff. That that a moment too. You know, a minute to, to to have a motivational conversation about how great we are. That's very C B S. Like every CBS series is like that. <laughs> I don't know I don't know who writes this stuff. I don't know why they write it that way, but it just it's not anything unique to to Discovery. And they're, think, in, a, like they're in the all, middle of a fire
1: fight. They're in the middle of a firefight and they're like, Okay, I'm scared to shoot. It's okay. Don't be scared. We're all in it together. You're absolutely right. Let's mow him down.
3: All of a sudden, like that, my PTSD was cured, and now I'm good to go, and I'm healthy, and everything's right in the world in oh, this, this crazy scene was, world.
1: Scene was well, amazing because she went from um, "I don't think I can do this" to "I'm flying without sensors now." I'm just,
0: <laughs> I'm just free balling it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well. At least Deep Space Nine took a whole episode to get Nog past his PTSD.
1: Yeah, Deep Space Nine did a really good job with Nog to begin with. I mean, that's probably one of the. I don't have very most...
3: many criticisms of Deep Space Nine. To be honest, I really don't have that many criticisms. I have
2: plenty in the first season. Um,
3: uh, I, I guess my only, my only, my only thing that I, I guess just I, you know, growing up, <clears throat> I, you know, my my mother was a professional actor and a stage actor and so you know i grew up around this and and, and understanding the various methods and things like that and <clears throat> i mean i even uh one of my stories i think i told you this at one point jim in one of our conversations you know i i was on stage um uh acting and one of the people who came to watch that play that we were putting on was none uh, other none other than, none other than jo- george takei and he was in the audience really yes oh, and really? So, yeah. Oh, he really does talk just like this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, he's <clears throat> And he was very very nice um, and very awesome. Um, and so, you know, it's a funny story, the side story here. You know, my mother comes running back there and she looks like pale as a ghost. And I was like, what the heck what is, is it? it? And she goes, George Takei is in the audience. And so half of us were like, whoa! And then the other half were like, who? And, <laughs> <laughs> and so... And so going out there, as soon as I walk out there, of course, you can't miss him. And it's like right there in front of the stage. And I'm supposed to say my lines. And I'm just like, get it together, man. You know, I was, like, I was a kid. I was like, get it together, get it together. But anyway, he was he was very nice. But, um, you know, my biggest gripe was that some of the characters, namely Cisco, he had like that one thing that he did when he got excited. And it was like this Shakespearean ranting is the best way that I can describe it. It was, and he would, and he would go on just like this, you know, you, you, I've got news for you, old man. And it, every, th- every time he got worked up, it was the same thing over and over. It's kind of like, um, kind of like some of the, um, some actors, everything they're in, they play the same character, like, like Adam Sandler. He's like, he has two different personalities that he portrays in all of the movies that he does. Um, And so it's like, it's very, it's like they they have a very limited selection in their wheelhouse, right? And so when I see that, it gets a little tired to me over time. But overall, I think the series itself and all the acting and every all the portrayal, I think everything was pretty good.
2: I was a fan of his uh, from Spencer for Hire. He he played a character called Hawk, and like the reason that that Benjamin Sisko had hair was because at the beginning of the series, because they didn't want people to think that he was just playing Hawk.
0: Yeah,
1: I
2: remember that in the documentary. Uh, but I, I will—I love that character on that show. He was a like super badass, and they seldom let Cisco be a super badass.
0: They even let Picard be a super badass. Although I think my favorite Deep Space Nine moment was
1: uh, very early on in the first season, was when they had uh uh, Julian Bashir, I think when he was under his uh w- when the credits were still under his arabic name not not uh alexander yeah, it alpha yeah 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 and uh, he was playing uh he was taken over by the 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 i don't know if it was whatever alien it was uh, Rayo vantica you remember that episode where he was where his body was taken over by the the criminal and he was stealing a oh, shuttle yeah and just, yeah. just his, just his acting, <laughs> when he was being taken over,
0: it was, it was so funny. I couldn't stop laughing the first time. He's like, my name, Ray O. And
2: I'm like, hey, dude, you're trying way too hard. I can't believe they used this take. Well I think that that's my issue in general with deep space nine and it's kind of a thing that that on the newer shows they they do manage at least some of the time and that's a more naturalistic style of acting but the, um and there were moments in the original series that were like that and I think it's the reason that maybe star trek 2 works so well that two through um The 234 work so well is that they don't spend a lot of time um, being self the characters don't spend as much time being self-important as as the characters on deep space nine did and Mm. the 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 acting style was i mean it was i don't know it was so particular and in and they had have guest stars come in and they would just you know they would pick it up like it was a virus and and spread it around. <laughs> um, would pick it up like it was a virus.
1: <laughs> well, I think, um, I think that's the wrong analogy to use in twenty twenty one.
2: Well, <laughs> it, it resonates. So uh, the like, let me, let me back up and give me an example. The woman who played Kaiopaka. Yeah. You believed that she was that character, like you almost couldn't imagine that actress doing anything else, and everything that she did was so on point to that character and felt so natural and real and Then they had Louise Fletcher come in, and the the playing Kai Win uh, or as my kids used to call her uh, Kai Windbag uh <laughs> is such an incredibly self-important character, but also portrayed in a very self-important way. Like I'm a very important actress and I'm playing this very important character. And it's kind of what you're talking about with 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 Cisco. You know, there were weren't a lot of moments that you let his hair down and and was believable. Terry Farrell was not that that kind of character most of the time when she was playing Dax. He was—he was maybe the best character in the whole thing, and it sucked that they killed her off before the last season.
1: Yeah, contract disputes and whatnot.
2: Yeah, Rick Berman's an asshole by all reports. So.
1: Yeah, well, Rick Berman also provided us better episodes than than the new shows
3: combined. Yeah, gotta we gotta give credit where it's due. So. What about um, what about a, a Voyager? Did you ever really get into that and watch all of those?
2: I the whole thing. I never loved it. I'm rewatching it right now because one of the the podcasts I listen to, listen to is doing a you know episode by episode thing, uh, and I, my memory of it isn't as good. I I watched to like the last two seasons of Deep Space Nine for the same reason from this podcast I watched. Um it, Just, again, a lot of the stuff is unmotivated. I don't understand where the com- characters are coming from. The, the consistency from episode to episode is somewhat lacking. And you think it would be, I mean, obviously it's going to be harder in a show that has just minor arcs that go through a season. Um, That's why I'm somewhat interested to see what's gonna happen with Strange New Worlds because it is supposed to be episodic as opposed to being, um, you know, a long continuing story. To see, and then they've had plenty of time to write, so hopefully there is consistency of the characters from episode to episode. But um, I think that Next Generation definitely suffered by the fact that the episodes were written um, discreetly from one another, I guess. Like you, you didn't see the kind of character growth that you should have seen. Deep Space Nine was with even when it went into long arcs, still had that problem. Like the, Miles O'Brien, like whatever happened with him, like <laughs> he should have had a tremendous amount of character development from in the seven years of that show, and there really wasn't much. He was the same character at the be- at the end that he was at the beginning
1: but Miles O'Brien was an amazing character. So how can you how can you improve upon amazing?
2: Well, he spent a lifetime in a in a in a a, a jail cell and he and the next week he was okay. Like I wouldn't be okay. That it, so it seems like that should have colored the character the rest of the time. And, we don't, and why we don't didn't you talk he, about that? Why didn't he have enough agency to get a divorce? Because clearly they did not like each
0: other, but they did, and I don't. I think I Worf, don't. Worf giving a Worf giving
1: birth to Molly was probably the funniest thing ever. <laughs> well, if you remember correctly, Keiko almost called off the wedding. Remember?
2: Yeah. Well, he probably should have. <laughs> That was a character they had no idea what to do with, as well. No, Star Trek has done a a remarkably crappy job of writing women, and that's uh, they're. I I believe that they're. That's something they're trying to address. That they're just doing it in inconsistently.
3: Well, I I think I think with Miles, with O'Brien, you know, he was the most popular uh, non-commissioned officer in the show and really the only one that got really any time <clears throat> you know everybody else was you know an officer and so um i think that they could have done a lot more with that character showing the fact that he may have been on the senior staff but you know he wasn't an officer and showing the difference um in and, and how you know the world worked between the two
0: yeah It was it was interesting from
1: a from a perspective that I think a lot of people suffer from where he's a workaholic and his family life takes, you know, second stage to that, you know, second stage to that. So, I think that was kind of their way of portraying this inequity between home and work life. Whereas everybody else on the show either had a had a significant other who they worked with or they didn't have a significant other at all. Yeah, you know, it wasn't until what's you know season six was it that Cisco got Cassidy, and whenever they whenever he needed to do something, she's always on some freighter run, right? Dax and yeah. Worf got together, uh, so they were always around each other. Odo and Kira, so Miles was the odd man out because he had a he had a civilian. Uh, you know he had a civilian wife from next generation and it just didn't work out cuz they're in the middle of a war and he's on the front lines and he's always fixing stuff cuz
0: Cardassian and federation technology match but in terms of his character progression outside of the little blips of him
1: serving 15 years in a in a cell and killing his cellmate uh, you know it's like, was, was there a need for him
2: to change? He was already a a well-developed character. Well, well he was a major character on the show though. So I, I think that like every character on a, on a, on a seven year run has got to have a, a little bit of a journey. And I never really felt like he, I mean, I, I, I'm not saying I disliked the character. I just don't think he was well handled. He was also like, he was the punching bag of that show. Like all, Nearly all the really terrible things that happened happened to him. That you know, that prison term thing being the worst of them. But like every time you turned around, there was some terrible thing, and he was the guy that it happened to. The, the he was the Harry, double. the android yeah. body double. <laughs> he was the Harry Kim of 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 <laughs> Deep Space Nine. <laughs> Oh that
1: somebody Poor else Harry. who didn't
2: get promoted.
1: Right. Who's a senior officer as an
2: ensign? Yeah. As an ensign, that didn't make any sense.
3: Well, you know, going switching gears real quick, um, did you on the third Star Trek reboot, uh, you know, beyond, did you did you catch the point where, you know, the you know, Kirk was doing his sort of dialogue at the beginning of his captain song and he was talking about He said the whole thing seems a little episodic. I don't know. Did you catch that? (laughs) Yes, I did.
2: Yeah, uh, that to me, the thing that was wrong with that movie was the need to use Idris Elba in disguise and then reveal him. I thought that was, you know, spoiler alert, but I thought that was. Because it was a fun movie. It was certainly more fun than the other two, Um, but. I like Idris Elba, but it seems like he was shoehorned into that that role, and you know it, it was the same kind of um, yeah we all got it ahead of time reveal that Benedict Cumberbatch being Khan was like oh no this is the bad guy or whatever I mean I, I, don't know, I was really frustrated by that I was also like I, uh, Into Darkness is probably my least favorite Star Trek thing that isn't Star Trek Five. You actually enjoyed Beyond, Star Trek Beyond? Yeah, it was fun. It was fun. I, I had low expectations, so it was fun. I just, <laughs> I guess, I just didn't like I guess, that part of it.
1: I guess, I guess that would make sense if you have low expectations. It's okay. Because to your motivation talk, what was his motivation? He was abandoned, and so now he gained all this power, transformed into a Hadar like warrior. And he's going to take revenge by
0: blowing up a planet. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to use my swarms to blow up a planet. Yeah. Okay, that's
1: that's your that's your message. That's how you want to get it across. Cool.
2: Yeah, I honestly that's the only Star Trek film that I've only seen one time. Beyond, so I had, uh yeah, I had fun, but I didn't need to see it again.
3: I honestly think that that movie was made by the Jayla uh character.
2: Oh yeah, yeah. That she would have been better off in her own movie of her a mo- in her own movie. I don't I just thought you know. She,
3: she, was just, she was just she was just she was just hilarious. I like the yeah. beats and shouting. You know, she just it was like she was able to be serious and portray the serious emotion, but because of the culture difference and everything like that, it was it definitely added a lot to it to me that made it more enjoyable. Yeah.
1: I honestly don't remember her very much. I remember her like helping Scotty and and she was she helped Kirk get a motorcycle somewhere on a strange planet and I don't I don't really remember her very well.
0: Yeah, the motorcycle was in the cargo hold of the um the
3: uh what's his name's ship. The Franklin. The Franklin, yeah. and um, that's what it was because he made the comment. You know, I used to ride one of these when I was a kid, or you know, something of that nature.
1: I remember the trailers for that movie because uh, it was directed by Justin Lin, who does all the Fast and the Furious. Yeah, and he had to come out. He had to come out and be like, "Just watch the movie, okay? It's not Fast and the Furious in
0: space."
2: And then it was fast through furious in
0: space.
3: <laughs> and then, yeah, and then, and, in space. and then yeah, and then you're they're drifting cars through waves of swarm. They're they're drifting uh, ships through waves of swarm. There's motorcycle jumps and shit. <laughs> oh man, I
0: was, I was like, um, you know, it's funny because we play Fleet
1: Command, and Fleet Command was originally based on the Kelvin timeline, and oh. it, Star Trek Star Trek Beyond was playing in the background and I was watching it and it was like towards the climax of the movie where the swarms are attacking the station or whatever and I made a comment in our alliance good lord what a piece of crap I don't remember it being this bad and then some guys in our alliance like hey man that's how I got into this game (laughs) like oh (laughs) (laughs) my bad I'm sorry to ruin your crappy movie,
2: yeah, well, there's no accounting for for taste and 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 uh good things can come out of bad movies
0: sometimes. How about um that super serum that McCoy developed
1: was
2: only from Khan that you can get the blood to restore Kirk. <laughs> Not like they didn't have like what, how many twenty something more of them that they could have gotten blood. From. Yeah, it was
3: like, yeah, like seventy three or, or seventy four yeah, or yeah, No, seventy two.
2: Yeah, just <clears throat> just let Khan die and use somebody else's blood.
3: Yeah, we need we need Khan, he's the only person that can save him. You can almost tell there was probably like a red shirt, be like, excuse me, doc, we got in those torpe- shut the fuck up. No, we need Khan. That's the only person who can save this. That's what the writers wrote. But but they're wrong. GitCon.
1: You know, it was like uh, it just reminds me of James Cameron, or it was uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, I think. Uh, Somebody was was talking about the script of Titanic, and they're like, "Well, there was there's enough room for Jack to be on the on the little thing, you know, to be saved by the uh, by the by the lifeboats after the Titanic died." And like, why did why did Jack have to die? and somebody wrote, because it was on page 174 of the script, it says Jack dies by drowning. (laughs) I think that would have been a great line in Star Trek. Like,
0: why do we need Khan? Because it says right here in the script, we need Khan, okay? Move along.
3: (laughs) Yep. However, I will say this, I know a lot of people aren't a big fan of it, but I did think it was I thought the role reversal was a little cool, and along with the fist fight, because, you know, somebody's like, well, how, how could Spock even win? And, you know, how would he even be able to be successful against Khan? He's like a superhuman, blah, 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 blah. And a lot of these people, like a lot of other people, seem to forget that Vulcans are on average like two to three strong times stronger than a human. So as far as a physical fight, he would be more on par with the uh, genetically modified humans than probably anybody else would.
1: That's the only thing that made logical sense, because if you look yeah. at old old Deep Space Nine episodes where Cisco is fighting Jem Hadar and Jem Hadar is supposed to be stronger than Klingons and
0: faster and can cloak, and all of a sudden Cisco is just killing like 15 of them at a time: <laughs> Well, yeah, that stuff
3: goes out the window when it's not convenient for the script.
0: You know. <laughs> you know, it's like,
3: like it's like in zombie movies. You know, these guys have these machine guns at the beginning of the movie, and they go to shoot through all these zombies, and everyone ends up dying. The zombies still fine, but then that same machine gun later on in the movie magically starts killing the same zombies because it's convenient for the script.
0: <laughs> it
1: just reminds me of yeah. uh, when that episode where the rogue Jem Hadar had whatever the the portal technology or whatever they got I can't remember what it was and uh Weyun and Cisco had to work together and they just sent in a team of Odo, Worf Dax Cisco and they were able to just mow through all the Jem'Hadar guarding <laughs> guarding whatever the the temple that it was I'm like oh okay cool fiercest warriors in the galaxy mm, mm. so I think yeah. I don't think
3: I think the question that we haven't asked Jim yet, yet is, what, "What's your favorite character?"
0: It's a really good question.
2: Um, hmm. One of my favorite—I I will say one of my favorite performances is Carl Urban, though, as as Dr. McCoy. He embodies that character in so much the same way. Without it being exactly the same at all, like oh yeah, that's bones.
3: yeah i I agree he 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 definitely did it seems like he definitely did his research or he just got lucky enough, but he was also able to put a personal spin on it where he made the character his own while still being true to the the original uh bones,
2: yeah, more successfully than anybody else uh, I thought i mean i. Uh, I'm not a giant fan of the Ethan Peck Spock in in Discovery. He's going to have to kind of win me over in uh, Strange New Worlds. Um, I, I think the the Kelvin verse Spock is maybe the most problematic, and I like the actor,
3: but I don't love the portrayal. Oh, the 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 Spock in the Discovery universe. Uh, I'll just go ahead and say it. He's just a weepy bitch. <laughs>
2: yeah, they, I think they're leaning too far into the hasn't done the colonar yet, except that he hadn't done the colonar in the time of the original series either, and he was still pretty uptight. So, um. Well, don't forget the Discovery Spock
1: <clears throat> is advanced enough to take a mind meld from Burnham's mother about the future but dyslexic enough not to understand how to read coordinates correctly.
0: Yeah, that that version of Spock
3: was just an epic failure in my opinion. Just a big weepy bitch and it was just it was like someone who just doesn't have anything together and it doesn't know and you know it's just it was it was the worst portrayal in my opinion. And it it really upset me because obviously Spock is pro- is like one of the most popular characters and in some cases even more popular than than, um, than Kirk, uh, in a lot of cases, yeah. and you know you think the, the universal Star Trek greeting is the you know the the Vulcan hand sign, uh, and you know so many of the other things, the catchphrases and all that stuff come from the Vulcan culture, which comes from, from you know Spock's character and, and his character progression and so forth. So I feel like, don't get me wrong, Kirk's my favorite uh, captain. Kirk's my favorite character. Um, I'm a huge original series fan. It will always be my favorite, but you, I have to admit that Spock, without Spock, the show would not be what it is. And I think I'm pretty sure that most people would agree. So I feel like, if anything, you, that's the character that you really want to make sure that you have dialed in at the end of the day, because that's what's gonna—that's what people are really gonna pay attention to, just in my opinion.
2: Yeah. Um... I think that the Kirk Effie existed in the second through the um, fourth movies is my favorite of all the characters. the The guy that is not as young as it used to be, and yet has to to figure out how to um, act smarter than everyone around him. I did love uh how he appeared in in six He's okay but it's a, kind of a little bit too much i don't know that the, particularly in two the, back to naturalistic acting acting styles he just feel he felt like he had lived in that character for a long time to the point that he was that character and i think that maybe the thing that was most successful to me about that film versus how the how the motion picture was it it all felt like it was really happening and the original you know series obviously the the sets are cardboard and you know it it, it is what it is it it was reflective of its time but so much about star trek 2 felt like okay this is a thing this is like really happening this is these are These are real people with real motivations in and, and it's a workplace story more so than Star Trek's ever been
0: right, hey, Here's a question oh. for you Here's a question for you
1: yeah, in Star Trek Two: wrath of Khan, Khan tells Chekhov that he never forgets a face. When yeah. did Khan meet Chekhov in the original series?
0: Never.
2: Didn't happen. They, I don't know why they wrote it that way, but they did. Like his, like how the characters used is is fine, I think, in the film. Um, But oh yeah, 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 no, totally. And you don't really have any backstory on Chekhov to know what the hell he was doing before. Like he could have been somewhere else on the ship, and there was a scene that we didn't see.
1: That's what people have surmised. He was somewhere else on the ship. He was security I actually didn't... I didn't actually notice Walter Koenig uh, playing in Star Trek until I watched Babylon 5. Oh, really? So Mr. Bester uh, was my introduction to Walter Koenig. And I'm like... And he was such a well-written... Character in the show, and then I go back and I um and, and, and I see this this Russian dude saying, like, I was like, "What, the for Captain?" and I'm just like, "Wait, is he, is he Mr. Best?" That's the fucking what? guy. <laughs> yeah, I'm like,
0: "What's going on?"
1: and I realize, oh my god, it's the same actor. So he he played in Star Trek before he was in B5. Oh, interesting. And then <clears throat> and then I see Star Trek uh, Generations. And uh, you know, then I'm like, then you could see because it, it they were roughly the same age in, in that time period. Maybe a little, yeah. he was a little younger. And I see it like, oh yeah, all right, I get, I see it now. I see the result. I yeah. really
3: enjoyed Generations. Really, you know
1: the the ensemble cast, the people that they got to play, like Malcolm McDowell, yeah. and. Uh, you know the, the merging of the two different generations. I think was a, a a great way to hand off the franchise from original to next generation. But the movie plot was
3: just that. that that's probably why. <laughs> I mean, that's probably why, right? Obviously, I'm a huge original series fan, and then you know, growing up, I watched the next generation and things like that. So, you know. Seeing those two together, it was, it was always really awesome because there was always like, who's the better captain, Picard or Kirk? You know, and that was always like the the geek debate. But then you see both on scene, performing together. You know, I think just that cool mesh. To me, I mean, it, everything else could have been crap, and I'd still watch the movie again just because of that. I I really enjoyed it.
1: No, no, I I think it was great. I I thought the interactions that they had with one another, Captain to Captain, was was pretty cool. It was it and. I think that was the first movie where they really went out on the special effects because especially that scene with Data, they're plotting the the course of what happens if the sun blows up, where does the ribbon go, all these things. I thought that was a really cool scene that they did. But yeah, I mean, the storyline of, all right, I'm going to blow up the sun so I can get back to the next.
0: What? (laughs)
3: <laughs> no, it was, it was definitely it was definitely silly. Um but you know, like I said, just all that stuff together. Um it definitely wasn't as bad as Nemesis. Um I don't I don't know that there's much that is.
0: I you know, I would take Nemesis over the newer movies. Really? I mean yeah, even though you had the you know, you had the stupid Dune Buggies
1: and you know some of the scenes where it's like something pops out of the scimitar and Riker immediately knows the captain. Go go transport him now. Uh, I mean, I still prefer that. Actually, you know what I prefer is I preferred if they uh, if somebody sometime ever did a direct or not a director's cut, but a um, uh, a cast cut because there were scenes. I don't know if you've seen some of the. Uh, uh deleted scenes, and there was a lot of them but uh you could stitch the movie with some of those deleted scenes, and it would turn out to be a really good Star Trek
0: movie because like i don't know if he i don't know did you ever, did you guys ever see the alternate ending to uh to nemesis
2: Not sure that I did what happened to so it? the
1: the alternate ending it was Picard he's back on the bridge. Um, and everybody's gone around, right? So they have like Riker and Troy left. Worf went back. Geordi's gone. Data's dead. He gets a new first officer. I can't remember his name, but he 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 played in uh, Enterprise. He was a uh, Colonel Hayes of the Makos. So he becomes the uh, the first officer, and he's basically starting anew with a new crew. And he's kind of showing them the ropes, and then they're like, "We have a new chair for you, Captain." And he sits in the chair, and there's seatbelts, like there's oh. seatbelts. He's like, "Like, oh, finally, now we, can, now we get them." And uh, and so he, and the the scene ends with, you know, he tells the first officer, "It's like it's it's time for us to leave." It's like, where to, sir? And he goes, "To boldly go where no one has gone before," and that. That's kinda of how it ends. It's like the Star Trek theme plan. So
0: I, it was, it's something I would definitely have to see
3: because it just sounds cheesy as shit. I'm not gonna lie to you.
0: Well, no shit,
1: but okay, dude, you, you and I watched everything Star Trek. When is Star Trek not cheesy? Come on, man.
3: I mean yeah, yeah. I mean I I I I would say it sounds cheesy by even those standards. You know. <clears throat> so
2: my problem my problem with that film other than the writing was was deciding that they needed to to do it with a picard clone that didn't really look anything like him <laughs> <laughs> or and
0: or i i mean fact i have seen
2: go ahead go ahead i i've seen tom hardy in in things that i actually liked him in and and this was not one of them it was not a good performance. It was a poorly conceived character, and mm-hmm. and uh, even even if it's supposed to be just a younger looking version of the character, they did not nail that in any way.
3: Well, they said, you know, if the the uh, I've read things that said, you know, it almost ruined his career and almost ruined him.
2: I wouldn't be surprised that it nearly ruined me, and I watched the film. <laughs>
3: Yeah, I mean, yeah. Well, they said, it, I mean, it, it, it nearly ruined him, and I think Tech probably knows a little bit more about it. But
1: well, it's weird that they used a bald version of Picard when in the flashback of that episode where where Q you know acted as God, he had heroin yeah. Was it mosaic where he uh, his artificial heart was? Uh,
0: yeah, was uh,
1: failing. Yep. Yeah. So he had hair when he was younger, so why why couldn't they have had him with hair and nemesis?
0: And then, yeah, Picard cloned to lead the, the uprising of the Romulan Empire.
2: And, like if you're going to clone somebody I to guess, lead the ro- uprising of the Romulan Empire, why wouldn't it be Spock? And,
0: and, because I, I mean, it, wasn't, in, it of- wasn't
3: on page 173 of the script. Exactly. Yeah. Thank you, Kirk.
0: It wasn't on
1: page 173. It's, I, I, I bet that the, that director who also refused to watch anything Star Trek before directing that episode, his, mental- his
0: mentality is the same people that made Star Trek Picard. Uh, it's like, oh, this is data in a box.
1: How did you recover him from the scimitar explosion?
0: Eh, it's the, the you know whatever device.
1: So that why was, B4 was he kept? In the a... box. Well, no, B four was in the drawer. They disassembled him, but but Data was on the planet with the an, with the and, oh. androids that his yeah. biological brother was raising
0: children or. Whatever. Right. Well, I.
2: I actually know the answer to this because Data uploaded himself into B four before he went to rescue Picard. Yes. B four failed after what we saw at the end of Nemesis. They extracted data's upload to B four and that was what was in the box.
3: What did I just what did I just think about the movie seven?
2: What's in the box? <laughs>
1: So how did it get from Starfleet headquarters to the Android plan?
0: Um, what's his name? Stole it. Maddox versus um,
2: Maddox? Maddox, yeah. It's not that they didn't get the same actor back for that, but he doesn't oh, act anymore. He's a acting teacher.
1: Yeah, I wish they would have gotten him back cuz I was I was looking at him like, "Are you the same guy? You don't look like the same guy." No. And then and then they didn't get the same guy for eachab cuz yeah. They're, they're mad at, you know, Manu Ibrahimy for that he said or did or whatever.
2: Yeah, he got him canceled out of the he, Star Trek yeah. universe.
1: He got canceled, he got shot by Seven. Ugh, it's that just didn't, that whole entire sequence really bugs me. Of Picard, like, all right, we're not. It's it's Patrick Stewart. We're gonna do a lot of talking. There's not gonna be a lot of action,
0: okay, guys. Okay, all right, cool. What do we get? There's a lot of action. Yeah. Space flowers. Yeah. <clears throat> all right, guys.
1: Up. I th- I, th- I think uh, I think I gotta wrap this up. My kid wants to play some baseball with me. Yeah, man. No, so,
0: uh, that's what it is.
1: So, Jim. Uh, feel free to promote yourself to to our audience of Star Trek Fleet Command nerds. Maybe somebody will get uh, involved in powerlifting and listen to your stuff, other than Kirk, of course.
2: <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I am at DG McD on all the social media. The show is 50% facts where percent is a word and 50 is just numbers. And I uh, my gym is Third Street Barbell, so it's Third Street Barbell, all spelled out. dot com is the new website for that, and then the apparel line is 3 co.
0: Awesome, man! Well, I thank you for coming on the
1: show and and bridging the divide between nerd and jock.
2: <laughs> well, uh, thanks for having me on, for sure. That's and
1: uh, you're you're more than welcome to come on anytime and uh and talk trek and obviously uh if you guys haven't checked us out before for all of our star trek fleet command content and all of our and all of our uh, uh dumpster fire conversations that we've had feel free to check us out anytime like comment subscribe do the instagram thing do the podcast thing and uh thanks for listening this has been trek talk with tech and kirk i'm tech man 16
0: And I'm Strange Kirk. And we'll see you guys next time.